0: or minds uh, to keep us from hearing and receiving your word um, can just be washed away and that we can be open to what you have to say to us today. Amen. And I'll use this microphone from, from the rest of the service. Now, that song that we just sang uh, was kind of a happy accident, we'll call it, Um your pastor, myself, uh, I accidentally input the wrong psalm that I was going to preach on in one place that Emily looked at, and uh, it turned out that I said, well, I'm not preaching on Psalm 121, I'm actually preaching on Psalm 63, and I told her that last night, and, and she was a little maybe upset that, well, how come you didn't have it right? But I think it was actually, like I said, a happy accident, because it helps us remember what we looked at last week and the other thing it helps us do is remember that the psalms are these word pictures that God gives us. Where does my help from come come from? I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Often we see uh, word pictures given. We look to different places. We experience things and the psalm we're going to look at as we continue this series in the psalms is going to also have one of those word pictures, uh, maybe the way we feel. And and so we're going to go right to Psalm 63, and I'll read that out of the NIV right here. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God uh, will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is once again a, a psalm of David. Perhaps you saw that, uh, that note up at the top of the psalm. Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Two weeks ago, we looked at another psalm where, where David was on the run, and he ended up writing about that experience. And, and when he was on the run, at this point in time, he was on the run from King Saul... David was set to be king, and yet yet Saul was on the throne. Now this is not Saul who is pursuing him. Likely, this is his own son, Absalom. And David recounting this psalm, writing this psalm, you could say it's almost a window into his soul at this moment in time. The psalms are often these stories that directly relate to the the psalmist's experiences, what they've experienced, and then they choose to, to write about what is happening in their life and perhaps how they're able to glorify God in the midst of all the things that are happening. And here, David, David's in a desolate place. Perhaps you remember this passage as a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's in a, a bad spot. He's in a place that you really don't want to be. You de- normally don't seek them out. And, and he gives us this vivid word picture, dry, barren. Where there's no water, there's no growth or minimal growth. Where there's no water, oftentimes there's no people. Where there's no water, you're isolated and, and on your own by yourself. This place is draining. It's draining every part of David's being. And he, and, he, and he got to this place as he was fleeing his son. You know, Sons, in general, from what I know, are generally people you can trust, for the most part. Maybe that's not everyone's experience, but for the most part, you you should be able to trust that your son is going to to do what they say they're gonna do or or respond favorably to you. Hopefully, uh, I forgot to mention this, uh, hopefully maybe your son reaches out to you and says, Happy Father's Day. I, for some reason, thought Father's Day was last week and I totally convinced my whole family that it was, okay? Uh, so that was pretty fun. We had a celebration last week. But reach out to those father figures in your life and, and say, Happy Father's Day. Thanks for being my mentor. Thanks for being so on. I don't think Absalom did that, though. Absalom here is, is pursuing his own father, searching for David to take his life, and in David, all of his running away, all of his, his looking over his shoulder to see where where they were going to be, to see where the pursuers were, all the, the calculating that he would make before he made a move, perhaps, it was wearing on him. He was longing for something different. He's weary, not just in his mind, not just in his body, but his entire being, mind, soul, body, weary, and longing for something different. And he's looking for a safe place. He's looking for a safe place that will protect him, a place of asylum, you could call it. Some place that would that he wouldn't have to fear for his life anymore, perhaps. A place to stop running, a place to stop looking over his shoulder, a place to stop wondering where the pursuers are going to be coming from, and he ends up in that place we said that you don't want to be, a barren land. Barren lands are a little bit different than the landscape that we have here in Michigan, the landscape that we experience on a a day-to-day basis. We see probably green grass growing perhaps in the front of our yard or In front of our apartment or condo or wherever you happen to live. We see green grass in parks. We see we see small lakes and we got the big lake here. We have rivers and it just rained last night. But David was in this place of dryness, this place of emptiness. While we're in this place of ample growth and much vegetation. It's hard to get in that mindset of barrenness unless you've traveled or seen pictures in a desert to to really get the experience, perhaps. I was reflecting with my dad when we were home for this last week, and we were talking about some of the family trips that we took. And one of them that we recalled, and I don't know how we came to think of this, is we traveled through a place called Death Valley. Now, if you're not familiar with Death Valley, Uh, It's a place where it gets quite hot and it's quite dry. Uh, It might happen to be one of the lowest places in the United States. But we had this 1994 Plymouth Duster, this small little car that was dark green and and we're driving along into this area and we see all the vegetation start going away and we can feel the sun baking in on us through the windows and, and we stepped out of the car and it was 120-some-odd degrees. 120-odd degrees. And, and you know what people say, though, that's a, just a dry heat, right? That's what they'll say in a desert or some type of climate. It's a dry heat. Okay, sure. It's hot. I don't care what you say. But it's hot. And we get out, and we walk around this desolate place for, for a little bit, looking at you know cactuses and some of the other things that do grow there. And we get back in the car in just a few minutes later, and it is just baking like an oven in there. And, and I go to put my seatbelt on, and that little metal buckle on your seatbelt, that gets hot by the way, right? These areas in which you're, you're kind of faced with a different climate than you're used to, a barren land where perhaps there is no water, one of the other places I've experienced that is when I was able to take a trip with, with my wife to Israel about four years ago. And we we traveled from Jerusalem over to the Dead Sea. And and, and putting myself in a mindset of someone who was walking through that area as you leave Jerusalem and, and you leave this area, the 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 view continues to be less and less and less vegetation, less water as you get away from the Mediterranean Sea. And, and then all of a sudden you see this big lake. And this person coming from, from Michigan, you would think, oh, that's a great lake. You'd love to be in that. But then the reality is it's not really water for life. There's nothing that lives there. The salt content is so high. So, if you're wandering in a desert land, a dry and weary land where there is no water, and you see this big lake that happens to be the Dead Sea, this big body of water, perhaps you would get your hopes up until you would go down, kneel down, and find out that the water is no good. A dry and weary land. No vegetation what seems to be like no life. And that's the place that David finds himself. You know, those places of isolation, they're not often places that we seek out on our own. But sometimes we're kind of forced into it, aren't we? We're forced into these spots where we are met in a place of isolation. Perhaps it's a place where where we experience danger, which is... One of the areas that largely refugees try to seek asylum from danger that's happening in their area. But other times it might be another reason that we're forced into isolation. We can think about the last maybe four months of our lives. This is the first time that people have actually come here to church that weren't the ones who were singing and doing things. I don't know, was it 11 or 12 weeks? of isolation away from our friends, our family, our church family. For many, including myself, it could be those times, those those difficult times where we're separated from people that that isolation begins to affect our whole being, our minds. Our minds begin to just crave communication with someone older than an eight year old maybe that's just me i love you i love you Peyton. don't worry right our, our our souls begin to yearn just gathering together with with the believers of god and belting out a song together our, our bodies become weary of being in the same place day after day after day and they begin to blur together. Isolation. Isolated from others, unable to speak, isolated, not being able to live as as we had hoped. Sometimes that even can feel like isolation from God. And it's in those seasons of isolation... It's in those seasons where we're in the the wilderness that you desire something different. There's this thirst, David says, for something more. A thirst to see a change. In in the midst of that isolation in the wilderness, we desire something that's soul-filling instead of something that seems to be life-taking. We thirst. We thirst and at the same time we desire less of certain things. We thirst for more face-to-face interaction with people and and less face-to-face interaction via Zoom. Or via pictures and videos, whatever you'd like to say. We thirst for people to be heard and listened to more. And we wish of less focusing on the extremes of our culture. We we thirst for those who promote unity and, and less of those who are divisive. We thirst for more experience of unity and hope and less experiences of division. We thirst for maybe more awareness of our own behavior and how we can and glorify God more fully in those situations. We thirst. Perhaps we, we thirst for the life-giving gospel and, and, and we desire less from those who, tr- who try to suppress it and silence it. We thirst for more of God's glory in His power and, and less from those who try to ignore it. We thirst for more of God's kingdom. And we desire less from the dominion of Satan. We thirst for more justice. Where people don't have to flee a society for fear of their life. We thirst for more, and, and David he thirsts for more. And and yet, despite being alone, maybe there's a few people with him, dis, despite for being in general isolation. And, and this feeling of a complete drained uh, body and soul and mind, David, he thirsts for God. He continues to seek after God. He continues to remain faithful to his Lord. He continues to, to use God as the foundation of whatever is going to come next in his life. And he sees a vision. In verse 2 and 3, he sees something that causes him to be sustained for whatever comes next. It's a, it's a vision because that's the word that he, a, uh, that's normally used for, I think, when prophets see a vision. That's the same thing that, that David sees here. It's a, it's a prophetic message from God that says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. So he, he sees this vision of a sanctuary and he has beheld God's power and his glory and then he remembers. After seeing that vision of God and His power and glory, he remembers something that sustains him. That is love. That God's love is better than life itself. And that causes David, even in the midst of discomfort, even in the midst of isolation and being in the wilderness, in the dry and weary land, the dry and weary land, He says that his lips will glorify God. His soul is satisfied because he remembers that God's love is better than life. The vision that God gives him gives him a purpose. It reminds him of of what he has been created for. He's, He's been created for worship. He's been created to praise God. I wonder, what, what do we do in those times of isolation? When we feel far from God, when perhaps we're feeling trapped in one space. Perhaps we too are invited to, to look for a vision. Does that mean you're going to get a prophetic vision like David? Maybe not, but maybe you can look into the past of how you've seen God work in your own life how you've seen God support you and uphold you, or how you have seen God support others and uphold them. But then maybe you can look forward too. And maybe that can be a little bit easier. When we're thinking about what the Lord has done, in reality, He has given you a vision. And He's given me a vision. And it's a vision of Jesus. Jesus meeting us there in that dry and that barren land. And He invites you to come to Him and, and, he's, and He's sitting by a well. And then He says, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. John 4, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give Him will become A living spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later Jesus would say to us in that dry and weary land where our soul is tired. Where our soul desires something more. He says, if if you thirst, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. we have a picture of something that's being offered to us today in the midst of that isolation, in the the midst of that difficulty, whatever happens to be going on, says come drink. But that vision is carried further beyond. Beyond just the the words of Jesus as He was living, they they go beyond that to to when He has been resurrected and when He sits on the throne because He says come. Come. In Revelation, come, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who desires the water without price, come to me. He gives us this picture of, of a world restored. All those areas where we, we normally would have seen isolation and people needing to move from one place to another to seek asylum, one day they're going to be no more. And he invites us into a life where, where we go about hoping and desiring and acting upon that vision, desiring to, to push that vision of God's kingdom forward one person, one day at a time. And maybe that's through remembering June 20, World Refugee Day Day. And, and celebrating that or, or making that aware on the Sunday that's closest to us. It, that we can remember those and advocate for those who, like David perhaps, have to look over their shoulder to see where their attacker is coming from. But maybe it's just not remembering Maybe God calls us to actively do something as well. Maybe in remembering that, we, we also remember what He brought the church about for. We remember that the Lord, yes, He's the one who provides deliverance and protection and support. And He does that to show us His love, and then we too are supposed to express that love that love that is better than life itself, that love that satisfies beyond all measure, express that and bring that to other people, the the purpose of the church, to live for God by forgiving often. By embracing the diverse world that God has created, by desiring the vision and Revelation where you have all of these nations gathering around God's throne and bringing uh, what is relevant in their culture as an offering to Him. Maybe it's by loving our neighbors, and maybe we say, well, who is our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? We love our neighbors by fighting for the powerless. They're our neighbor. We love our our neighbors by caring for the ones we live around, caring for those we interact with at work, caring for those who, who we see at the grocery store. We love our neighbor by caring for the poor. All of this is out of God's love that's better than life. Perhaps we live it out by leading people to Christ. The only place that true unity ever can really happen. By sharing the gospel that Christ has died for you and offered a living water for you, one that won't cause you to thirst anymore. A water that reminds us that God's love is truly better in life. Let's pray. Father, we lift to you our very selves. We lift to you those who feel that they are in a dry and barren land. Place that they they don't feel like they can find water or sustenance, a place that they feel in danger, a place that they feel perhaps that they have difficulty a place that they desire not to be anymore Lord we pray that you would make aware in this world, those who need to live in a different place, those who need to seek asylum. And Lord, we pray that you would make it so that we would welcome them. Lord, use us, we pray. Our church has a history of welcoming the refugee, and I pray that you would continue that going forward, Lord as we welcome family after family, individual after individual, and help them know here that they are safe. They are safe in you, and they are safe from others who try to persecute. Make other believers aware of that as well, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.